Take a copy of God's Word this morning, if you would, and turn to Psalm 32, the 32nd Psalm. And as you uh, find your place there, uh, I want to go off script just a a moment or two. Uh, I think that today, as we come together, first of all, we need to offer God a a praise and a thanksgiving, especially in the protection He has shown us this last uh, week or so. Uh, In particular, most of you know that uh, God has really blessed us and Ruston not to have the damage that so many other places have had. Now, don't get me wrong, we've had some issues, but not to the extent others have had. And I think for us, we need to say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for the protection. Thank you for the blessing that you gave to us. So many people this week uh, that I know in South Louisiana have have texted me and messaged me and said, hey, what can we do for you all there? And I said, look, uh, you know, it's, it's not that bad here in Ruston. Pray for our friends over in Monroe and West Monroe. Pray for our friends over in Halton and Shreveport, those north, and even now, obviously, south. And uh, we want to um, give God thanks. I think also as we come together, we want to uh, recognize what we can do. What we can do is God's people to respond in some different ways. Uh, I talked to uh, David Abb. He was here praying a moment ago for Jay because Jay is dealing with a lot of things with the transportation department today, obviously. And uh, Dave and I talked yesterday and recognizing that Louisiana Baptist, basically, they will be setting up their command center here in Ruston at Roland Hills to really oversee the response throughout the whole state, the whole state, north and south. And uh, as I spoke with him yesterday, he reminded me of the need for volunteers, uh, especially those who've been trained. And what's great is this. Next week, Temple is hosting a disaster relief training uh, for Louisiana Baptist. Now, y'all think about that. Y'all to think about the timing of this. Y'all think about how you might be involved in that next weekend. Because as David was sharing with me yesterday, this, this is going to be several weeks of response. So in other words, if you get in next week and you volunteer and you get certified and do all you need to do, you can be on the ground. You can, uh, you can really take part in that. So I would just encourage you to think about that. We've got information in the office, other places across uh, this campus, but uh, we would encourage you to do that. Other people have called and said, hey, what, what can I do monetarily? How can I give to different people? Well, certainly, as I think about the Annie Armstrong, one of the things that the Annie Armstrong does is support disaster relief. So just know if you've given through Annie Armstrong, you have given in some ways to disaster relief, and I thank you for that. But if you were to give to the victims, the local victims, there are all kinds of good organizations, okay? There are all kinds of good organizations you can give to. I have uh, talked to David personally, and he said if you give to Roland Hills and if you help through that, they will get 100% of what is given straight to the victims. So there are all kinds of ways. If you decide to do that, that's great as well. But uh, we want to do what we need to do. Um, I spoke with a pastor at First West, and I know that they have a lot of stuff going on over there. And uh, certainly, again, in Halton and other areas, we want, to, uh, we want to just lift them up and pray for them. So this morning, can we do that before I preach, before I share? I just, I just feel like we need to gather together. I know David prayed for us earlier, but I want us to pray today and just thank God and ask him for the wisdom, dis- discernment, the resources we need to respond, okay? Let's pray together. Father, first of all, we come to you and we thank you. Now, Lord, we know that we're not untouched here in this place. We know that many of our folks have faced different things in their lives. Even as I 
have looked out already this morning knowing some of our members, maybe those who have lived in Monroe or other places who have gone through some issues this week. And Lord, I, I pray for them. But I, I thank you. I thank you for the protection you have given so many of us. I thank you for watching over us and, and, and giving us what we need. And Father, we never take it for granted, your hand of protection, your sheltering presence in our lives. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters across the state and beyond, those who are facing issues even now. God, I pray that you would give them a spirit of calmness. I pray that you would give them a spirit of courage, even as fear tries to consume them. I pray that you would give them a spirit of hope, even in the midst of despair. And Father, I pray that you would help us to respond in whatever way possible, Lord, that as opportunities arise, that we will be the people not only who issue forth um, verbal encouragement, but, Lord, we would be people that would put feet to our words. And, Lord, we would simply respond in that way which you've called us. God, we pray that you would be with our people. We pray that you would show us your grace, your strength, and your wisdom. We pray this together, collectively, as the body of Christ here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 32. Over the last few weeks, we have talked a lot about our relationship with God. And we're already into March. You know, we set some goals in January. Do you remember that? That's been a long time ago, and obviously a lot of things have happened between then and now. But one of the things that we had hoped as we prayed, as the church's leadership, as we saw what God would have us to do this year, one of the things that we really have desired is for us individually and corporately that we would multiply in our relationship to God. In other words, that our relationship with God would grow, that our faith in Him would grow, that we would walk with Him in a greater communion, in a greater sense of fellowship every day. I've laid out some of the ways, I think, in which we can grow in that relationship. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about worship. We've talked about so many things. But perhaps today, as we look at Psalm 32, David gives us the greatest insight into how we can walk in fellowship with God. This might be the greatest practice exercise that we have in our lives as it affects our relationship with God. I want you to hear David's words as he testifies, he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. 
Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. When David just expresses his testimony here, when he reflects upon his relationship with God, you hear a sense of joy and happiness. He talks about being blessed. He talks about being glad and rejoicing in the Lord. Why? Because he has experienced forgiveness, forgiveness from his sins. As you read through this, you see David coming into a relationship with him, a relationship of fellowship, a relationship that has recognized the mistakes, the sins, a relationship that has dealt with those things, and a relationship that has been restored with God. You know, in all of our relationships, we have challenges and obstacles, do we not? All of our relationships, no matter who we are, no matter what kind of relationships come in our lives, we have to be careful that there is something that does not hinder our fellowship, that there's something that does not separate us in that relationship, even sometimes in the things we do. Have you ever done something before that somehow harmed or impaired another relationship? Have you? No, not anybody in here, obviously. <clears throat> Good thing I'm talking about confession today. But um, yes, all of us have. All of us have probably spoken a word out of place. Or maybe we've done something, not necessarily intentionally, but something that can harm a relationship with somebody else. Now look, God is faithful to us in our relationship, no doubt. When you look at God, he is always faithful. God is always about the truth. He's always about righteousness. So when we think about our relationship with God, he's not the problem. But there are moments when we might hinder that relationship. There are moments when we might say something or do something that will hamper the fellowship of that relationship, no doubt. All of us have done that. And David knew that. David had experienced that. David, a man after God's own heart, he knew that he knew that he had hindered his fellowship with God through sin. So notice what he tells us as you listen to his testimony, as you listen to his word, what does David say? First of all, David says to us that we need to acknowledge our sin and its consequences. We need to acknowledge our sin and its consequences. Notice what David says here. David says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. So notice the language. He basically says, God, I know that I have done wrong. God, I acknowledge my sin. Notice David claims it. David understands that he is the one that is resp responsible. It is my sin. To many of us, too often, we try to blame things on everybody else. Well, this is the reason I did what I did. This is the reason I said what I said. This is the re If this person had not reacted in such a way, you don't hear that in David's language here. David owns his sin. David says, it is my sin. Now, we're not told the exact context of Psalm 32. But when you hear his testimony, when you hear his word, I think you are transformed back or transferred back 
to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. As he gets up from his bed one evening, he's walking upon the rooftop. As he sees this beautiful lady, a lady named Bathsheba, he asks who she is. And his servants even remind him that she is the wife of Uriah. And the desire consumes him. The lust consumes him. And before you know it, he has committed adultery. And then in the midst of that, in the midst of those weeks after that act, finding out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he decided he would try to cover it up. Even here, he talks about how he attempted to cover up his sin. And he brings in Uriah from the front of war. He brings him in, and yet Uriah, the honorable man, does not follow through, does not follow David's plan. And instead, David sends him back out to be killed. You can read the story again in the background there in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and and also chapter 12. But notice that sin. David, that one which has committed lust and adultery, who has coveted his neighbor, who has killed this honorable man, David. All of these sins, he comes before God and basically he recognizes, this is mine. I own these things in my life. And notice the words he chooses to, wor- to use. He uses the word transgression, which means rebellion. He uses the word iniquity, which means distortion or crookedness. He uses the word sin itself which speaks to falling short or missing the mark. All of those words express the seriousness of the sin that had occurred in his life. Now, when we hear this and we understand the background of David, many of us can probably say, well, man, that was pretty bad. That was, yeah, David, you should have been confessing your sin. David, you should have recognized the seriousness of that sin. I mean, David, that is horrible. But just for a moment in this place, could we be reminded that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God? All of us have missed the mark. All of us at some point in our lives have transgressed. We have rebelled. All of us have distorted the truth. All of us have. Now, sometimes we can recognize it very easily. Sometimes we know exactly what we've done. Sometimes that unconfessed sin that's in our life, we may not have identified it as well as we should. I mean, pride. Pride is just as sinful as adultery. Other sins that come in our lives... All of us experience our motivations, our hearts. They are all called before God. And what God wants us to do is identify our sin and acknowledge it. Again, sometimes it's difficult maybe to identify. So what do we do? We ask God for help to identify. I remember a story that was told about an engineer who had worked for GE for many years. And he finally came to a point of retirement. He retired. And one day, they called him back in. Some of you who are engineers, or you, you know the way this works. They needed some help. So after 
these other engineers, these young engineers had worked and they had tried to find the problem in the, in the plant. They decided they'd call back in this guy named Charles Steinmetz, who's this retired GE engineer. Charles came through, came back to the plant. He just walked all around the machines. He listened for a few moments. And in just a few moments, a few minutes, he took a little piece of chalk out of his pocket and he made a mark on one particular piece of one particular machine. And then he walked off. The young engineers, they took that machine apart, they disassembled it, and guess what? That was the problem. That was the problem. Well, a few days later, the folks there at the plant received a bill from Charles Steinmetz for $10,000. A lot of money, especially at this time. $10,000. Well, they couldn't believe he had charged them that much, so they sent a request to him. They asked him to itemize the bill. So he sent back an invoice, itemized. Making one mark with chalk, one dollar. Knowing where to put that mark, $9,999. You know, sometimes the key is knowing where to put the mark. And in our lives, when we go and we, we try to seek, God, what, what, what's, what is unconfessed in our life? What is the area that we are falling short of the glory of God? What is the sin? God, would you convict me? Would you show me? God, would you make the mark upon my life so that I can deal with this sin? I think that's what God wants to do. And he wants us, once we identify it, to acknowledge it and say, God, it is my sin. I understand that. There's the seriousness of it. Lord, I've dealt with the consequences of it. Because listen to what David says. David says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Listen to what David says. David says, when I had this unconfessed sin in my life, I could, I could feel it. I could feel the physical, emotional, and spiritual repercussions. I could feel those consequences. I could feel the ramifications of my not confessing my sin. It was with me all the time. Ever been there before? Well, there was something in your life that you just simply had not confessed to God. You had not brought to God. And it was like his heavy hand was upon you. We might call it conviction. Or even your bones themselves ached. Where your spiritual vitality had turned into barrenness. Your walk with God, it just wasn't what it was. Your communion your fellowship that you had had with the God of the universe, now it had found a moment of barrenness and drought. David says, I remember those days. 
And I remember how the, that unconfessed sin had consequences upon my life. So God, I come before you and I acknowledge that sin and I acknowledge those consequences. Then he says this to us. Not only acknowledge your sin and its consequences, but I think he says, confess your sin. Confess your sin. Notice verse 5, he says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. There's the idea of him calling out, crying out to God, confessing his sin to God. And I believe there's still a place in the church's life today where we ought to come and confess our sins before God. Now, it doesn't have to be in a formal place or what. I, I believe confession just takes place as we go before God himself. Thanks be to him that we can go directly to him. And we can deal with this relationship. We can confess our sins. Now, some of you probably are thinking, but God knows my sin. Why, why do we have to go before him to confess our sins? Husbands, why do you have to say I'm sorry to your wife? Does she know that you've fallen short of the glory? Absolutely. Has she recorded those moments and those mistakes? Probably somewhere. You just don't know it. You go to God not because he needs to know. He already knows how we have fallen short. We go to God to confess our sin, to restore the relationship. Now listen. Once I am God's child, I'm always God's child. I believe that, don't you? I believe once he saves me, once he brings me into his family, I'm always going to be his child. So I don't think I go back to him confessing in order to have my salvation restored. Why do I go to him and confess? So that I can have the fellowship restored. My position as a child of God is secure. But I want to enjoy the communion and the fellowship with God the Father. It's just like some of us with our parents. We go to them and we'll say, I'm sorry. It's not because we want to be now entitled to this idea of sonship or daughtership. I don't know if that's a word, but daughtership. It's not because of that. You're always their son and always their daughter. But you go to them and you say, I'm sorry. In order to restore the relationship, the fellowship that you have, I often tell young people this, as they come to accept Christ as their Lord, I want them to know that there will be times when they'll have to come before God and say, I'm sorry. But it's not for the point of getting saved again. It's for the point of restoring that relationship. Confession. Going to God and saying, God, I know. Confession. In your life, in who you are. In the New Testament, the word for confession, if you were to break it down, if you were to take the word itself, it, it, it means something like to say the same thing as. To say the same thing as. 
So when I go before God and I confess, basically what I'm doing is, God, I'm saying the same thing. I'm saying the same thing as you have said about sin. I'm saying the same thing that you have said about my life and what you want from my life. God, I am agreeing with you. God, I hate sin. I've recognized what it's done to me. I recognize how it will tear me apart. Maybe it's the unforgiveness that's in my life. Maybe it's the pride that's in my life. But God, it's like an acid eating away at my very being. And God, I confess that. And I agree with you that that is not good for my life. And God, God, I ask for its removal. Confession. Just going before him and agreeing with him and restoring the relationship. See, too many of us have walked away from that sweet, intimate fellowship with God because we have been unwilling to acknowledge and confess sin that's in our lives. Well, he says, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. Everybody should call out. They can find you in a time when you may be found. In some translations, it may say something, even in times of distress, they can find you. Very timely passage here, verse 6. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You hear this? Basically what he says is when you call and cry out to God and confess your sin, this is a God who protects you and guides you and grants you all that you need. Not even the rising floodwaters will harm you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliver deliverance. And look, then look at verse 8. I think he takes us a step further. In verse 8, I think what he says is that we are to learn from our mistakes. Now, we acknowledge the sin and its consequences. We confess that sin, and then we learn from our mistakes. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Again, do not be like the horse, like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. The idea is have a teachable spirit. Learn from your mistakes. Isn't it amazing that we keep making the same mistake over and over and over? It's amazing that we embrace the same sin. Now, all of us have certain weaknesses in our lives. You may have a weakness that I do not have. I have a weakness that you do not have. We recognize that and who we are. But we learn from our mistakes. We learn from our sin. We say, God, hey, we don't want to do this again. We want to walk close to you. We might call that repentance. Of saying, God, I turn from this, this which is not good for me, and I turn to you. God, I want to learn from you. I want you to teach me. Help me learn from the mistakes that I have made. You don't want to go through the same process over and over and over. Some of us get in this rut of sin. Somebody told me one time that a rut is nothing more than a grave with one side kicked out. Think about that just a moment. Some of us are in these graves, a, a rut... And yet what God wants to do is to break that cycle. He wants to bring us into something that is new and fresh so that we can walk with him. He wants 
through his power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants us to overcome these things in our lives. To learn. To allow him to teach us. Allow him to guide us. Maybe it's by intentionally preparing ourselves. Maybe it's by intentionally removing ourselves from situations or contexts that we know may lead us to a place of sin. You know what? If I were David, I would never take another walk on the roof. No, not going to happen. You know what? I'm going to listen to my servants when they're trying to tell me something. I am going to learn. He says, be teachable. Learn from your mistakes. And finally, finally, he says, rejoice in your forgiveness. Man, this is the best part of it. Rejoice in your forgiveness. In the very first verse, as I mentioned a moment ago, he says, blessed. Blessed is is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed. Basically means content, happy, joyful. Later, here in verse 11, he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. He says, you take joy. You rejoice. Why? Because you've been forgiven. This whole psalm is based around the forgiveness of God, coming to him and confessing our sins, and his forgiveness upon us. You rejoice. You take joy because he has forgiven you. He has restored that relationship. Psalm 51 is basically that confession, confession of David before God. You ought to read it. You can hear the heart-rendering language that he embraces as he goes before God. And he prays to God that God would restore his joy. That God would give him that gladness once again. The the joy that he had experienced in his walk with God before. He wanted to experience it again. And here in this psalm, he says, blessed happiness. I can rejoice. I can shout for joy because I have experienced the forgiveness of God in my life. This is the truth of the scripture. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't this awesome? Doesn't matter if you're an adulterer, murderer, one who is lusted, one who is coveted. Doesn't matter if you're one that has unforgiveness in your life pride in your life doesn't matter if if you've cheated it doesn't matter if you've stolen the grace of God is big enough to cover all of our sins blessed is the one whose sin is covered there's so many times in our lives we try to cover up our sins ourselves just like David. We try, to, we try to disguise it so no one else can see it. 
But we never can do that adequately. Never can. Because God always knows. God has always seen. But get this. The ironic part of this is that when we come to him and we're just open about who we are and confess our sins to him, he covers our sin. There still may be some consequences in our lives, some disciplinary action that he has taken. Listen, I understand that, but doesn't it make all the difference in the world to know that your sins themselves have been covered and forgiven? Those of us in this place who have been forgiven by God and we recognize how gracious he is, it should not be difficult for us to gather before him and to rejoice and to shout for joy and to say, God, thank you, and to praise him and to worship him because we are the blood-bought people of God. How wonderful is that to rejoice. So acknowledge, confess, learn. And rejoice in the forgiveness of God. I say to you today that this is perhaps the greatest practice we can embrace in our lives as far as our relationship with God. If we want to see that fellowship restored, if we want to see that relationship restored, it will only come through confession. So believers, those of you who are in here, Allow God to search you, mark you, so that you can come and confess your sin before him. Those of you who aren't believers, guess what? The invitation is to you as well. Because as you come and you confess your sin, you can experience life for the very first time through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He died for you, and he rose again so that he could cover your sins. Would you come and would you embrace him? Believers, would you come and would you walk anew and afresh in him once again as you confess your sin? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this message. Thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would begin with me, the leadership of this church, Lord, that you would touch the Sunday school teachers. Lord, you would touch any volunteer. That you would touch everybody that's here this morning in this place. That you would draw us close to you. As we draw near, as we experience that wonderful fellowship and presence, Lord, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts and lives. God, for the one who's lost, may they experience salvation today. For the one who's just walked away from you, and Lord, they've allowed unconfessed sin to simply consume them. God, I pray that they'd come back to that walk, that vitality today. And Lord, when we leave here, collectively, corporately, we will rejoice and praise you for the great gracious forgiveness you've offered. Lord, we love you. Move through this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand so we have this moment of reflection and invitation?